Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. A podcast where Matt apparently everybody checks out our website because we're pretty popular now at MWR.com. So football season's back, of course we're popular. Football season and expansion season apparently is back too. That's true. And I have a few ideas that we need to get to. But we have a couple. I always want a new guy writing some stuff, doing amazing. Our hoops guy doing stuff as well about all that stuff. But uh, let's just say um, I'll ask you one quick question before we get to the games because we're just a week three preview. That's okay. Matt here. Do you do you really think CSU and Air Force are going to leave to go to the American? <laughs> okay, so I don't. I mean, I guess that I could, but I think that the reasoning for doing so is probably a little different than just you know, you know competition on the field. Because you know, when I think about Air Force, I, I, I perhaps inevitably think about what led Navy to join the American in the first place. Because if you recall, mm-hmm. Navy actually plays in the American West Division, or at least they did when when the divisions existed. And the idea behind that was so that way they could continue to recruit nationally and be able to, I think, more effectively visit people across the country when they're, you know, recruiting, you know, whatever, whatever the, whatever the naval version of a cadet is. Um, so I would imagine that if Air Force was going to make a jump and, you know, they were going to restructure their competitions in, in such a way that, you know, you'd be able to maintain the integrity of the, of the, uh, the commander in chief's trophy a little more easily and you know they would it would place them i think more more equally in the same boat where they're just they're kind of division quote-unquote rivals but yeah you know they're in a similar kind of situation like they're in the same bucket more or less in that instance um colorado state i don't oh i know i know i know can i raise my hand and answer i know yes yes you can't they don't they, they hate the mountain west 
<laughs> is that the reason to leave? I mean, I think if they think that that being in the American is better for national exposure, then I think the only thing left to do is just prove it more consistently on the field because, you know, they have the facilities, they have the brand new stadium, they have the television market, you know, and by extension, they have the streaming market. So, I mean, I, I, in that way, it makes sense, but, you know, there's still sort of the on-field product that needs to be resolved or maybe past a certain point that begins to matter a little less if you're handling business elsewhere. I think, like, it's funny, Bill C2 put up the SP Plus, because some people put it, like, did a few configurations, but without UCF, Cincy, and Houston, and then them adding Air Force and Colorado State, it makes the conference worse than the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't get it, because we're not going to spend too much time on this. I have a couple pieces I want to get to, but I've just kind of been doing other things. But read the other two we have out there that are really good about some possibilities. One's kind of a little out there with UAB included, but what really needs to be done, like, Craig Thompson... They don't need to add anybody. They need to convince or show, like, tangibly why it's better to stay, which is money. Mm-hmm. Because anybody who tells me – it's like the stupid – I don't know why Dennis Dodd ran with this garbage where somebody whispered in his ear, the Big 12 is going to try to get the Pac-12 teams. Sure, the Big 12 would love to. Is that going to happen? Hell no, because there's no way the Pac-12 is going to be making less money or an Arizona school is going to the Big 12 is going to make more money than the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. As long as it's USC and Oregon, the money's there. So within the Mountain West, the money is going to be more in the Mountain West if it's as is, and the American will be as is less will be less money without those three schools. Mm-hmm. And there are already only a, what two or th- two million differences difference I please plus the American schools have to pay for all their infrastructure for ESPN plus. Mountain West doesn't have to pay for all that stuff. Their games are CBS and Fox, so they don't have to worry about all that. So that's money too. Leaving as is, they're going to be more valuable than the American. So that's a reason to stay. If they want to expand, I've advocated just really quickly, like Memphis and SMU would be pretty good. Or as our buddy um, Aztec Breakdown mentioned, like we've talked about Gonzaga a few times, that'd be tough. But if you can get Memphis, basketball is really good. SMU's been decent in basketball. Reach out back out to Wichita State and then also Gonzaga. Like, those are some options. Gonzaga doesn't need it because they can get a board seed regardless, even without BYU and WCC. They, they're they good enough they can get those home non-conference games. But that's kind of my dream scenario if they want to expand. But SMU and Memphis, reasonable, reasonable people are bringing if they want to add teams. And then the basketball of Memphis could help bring in those other two schools possibly and say, hey, we're better than maybe the Big East in basketball. You know what I mean? With mm-hmm. Memphis, Utah State, and Gonzaga. Heck yeah, San Diego State and New Mexico figures things out. Like there's potential to be as good as better than the Pac-12 possibly in basketball. No, I mean I can see that. Do you one last thing? Do you think what the because Craig Thompson actually came out and was pretty vocal because you know he only talks to San Diego Union Tribune. That's about it. I've tried numerous times at various radio stations to get him on a show, and even I, we know the guys in the Mountain West reasonably well over the years. He still won't do it. He's like, nope, sorry, Craig's not going to join. I'm like, mm-hmm. don't go talk to stupid whoever in San Diego. But do you think anything's going to happen with this? Like, is the Mountain West going to lose teams? Is Boise, San Diego State waiting for the Big 12 because they want to add more teams? And I think if they add the right teams, I don't know if the Big 12 is enticeful enough. It could be, probably, but it would be enough to make that jump if that comes in the road in like three years. Honestly, I don't see much happening. I think most of the action is likely to happen back east. But do you think the Mountain West will lose teams? I honestly don't think so. 
I'm with you. I don't see the point. Like, there's no reason to leave to the American as it is right now. Like, if the Big 12 comes a couple of years, I, can, I am honestly surprised the Big 12 didn't get Boise and BYU recently. They kind of went around the globe, I guess, to get what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I I think the Mountain will probably stay as is, but those are two schools I think they could go and get. But that's kind of where I'm at. But nothing's going to happen for at least another year, I'd say. Yeah. Until the Big 12 knows what their money is going to be, and that's when next moves are going to happen. So let's get to the game this week. Let's start Friday night. Actually, kids, this is perfect timing. You and I'll be first in the state. Um, I say retweet a couple couple hours ago. Good old Dorian Thompson Robinson. Is this an official quote? Because it came from our buddy Christopher Gabriel, who now does news and not sports in the Central Valley. Yeah, it's uh, it's from the Daily Bruin, which I think is the UCLA student newspaper, if I'm not mistaken. We gave them the game. They didn't really win the game. Ultimately, it was guys. If guys would have just done their job and done it correctly, that game would have been put away a long time ago. That doesn't mean you gave them a game when you guys don't play well. Does he okay. not contradict okay, himself? Times? <laughs> if guys were done their job, yeah, if Fresno hit a long bomb in that first drive, they would have had another touchdown instead of punting away. It's like, there's, there's that. hey, have you done your job? That just means Jason didn't play well. Do you have more talent? Maybe. I don't know. Star System would say yes, but... You had 40 seconds to win the game. You couldn't do it. You couldn't stop a guy who had two broken hips, essentially, Jake Hader. I don't know if it was that bad. Oh, no, but it, it was pretty bad. Like he I mean, was, He's practicing this week. He's managing his workload. He'll be fine for Friday night, I think. I, I expressed a little bit of reservation. I figured we would know more out of, out of Monday's press conference. But it seems like, you know, he's on the practice field, either, you know, keeping him upright, which is a good sign. Um, Red jersey. And, you know, I don't know that, it, you know, even if he's a little banged up against this UNLV front seven, like, like how, how, how much in danger is he really? Because the Rebels have sort of taken a step backwards as far as just being able to generate a pass rush. They only have, I believe, four sacks in the first three games. And, and maybe some of that has to do with the level of competition that they faced, especially over the last two games between Arizona State and Iowa State. It was pretty clear they were outclassed. But, you know, even when, you know, guys were threatening to make plays, it was really only like the handful of established talents that we already knew about. And I'm thinking primarily of Jacoby Winman and Adam Plant. You know, you know, none of the other holdovers, none of the new arrivals have really made that same kind of impact just yet. Um, so, so, you know, I look at this game, I look at what Fresno State's offensive line has been able to do over the first four games, and I really don't see much reason to suspect that the game, at least on UNLV side of things, is going to look much different from what they've been facing recently. You're not wrong. We should mention 7 p.m. Pacific, CBS Sports Network, Friday night, 30 and a half, 30 and a half points for Fresno State. But should Jake Keener even play in this game if he is... I'm not saying he put it on, but he looks like he's pretty beat up. Yes. Like, you think he should play? I think he should. If they have a comfortable lead, which seems to be the case, should he play the whole game? Like, say they're up uh, 20 to 3 in the third quarter, should he continue to play? I would say, in, I would say they'll probably play the same way that they played the UConn game, um, or, or the Cal Poly game, where he mostly played three quarters and that was it. Okay. I just wonder if him be healthy because they could win this game without him clearly. I mean I think I think you don't you don't want to take anything for granted, especially coming off no. of, a, of a big win. You know, yeah, UNLV hasn't looked good, but 
you know, your opening conference play, you know, one wrong step and all of a sudden you're, you're not what you expected to be. So they're going to come out guns blazing and it's just going to be a matter of, you know, how well UNLV can withstand it. But, you know, quite frankly, if you look at their defensive stats, it hasn't been pretty and you can't just explain all of it away by, you know, quality and competition, you know, especially on defense, you know, you're looking at, at a unit that, They've allowed, you know, outside of garbage time, they basically allowed seven yards per play. That's, you know, 110th nationally. In terms of points per drive, they're even worse than that. You know, in uh, defensive points per drive is 4.24. That's 126. Like the only teams that are worse are, I think, Akron and UConn. And that's it. And so, you know, that in itself, like even, even a less than 100% Hainer, like a Hainer at 80%, along with all the weapons around him, should be more than enough to handle whatever UNLV is going to be able to throw at them. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, but UNLV can't throw enough. I don't care what they're doing. Like, if UNLV plays their best game, which could be Woodman playing well, if uh, look, it looks like Brumfield's going to be starting the quarterback, he's been practicing all week, he'll be back. Like, even if Charles Williams goes off for 189 yards, I'm, like, I don't see UNLV coming close to this game. They are... Not UConn bad, but they're in that neighborhood. They're around the corner. No, no, no let's they're, okay. So let, let's they're waving when they little, get the mail at the morning, at night. Let's the at least in the morning. be a little charitable to UNLV because, like, did you see the thing that SP Plus put out there? I think it was after last Saturday's games. Um, I remember seeing it. They'll update them as well since then. That that UConn might literally be through four oh, games yeah. the worst nope. college football team of all time. I did. I said neighborhood. Like, I said I didn't say right next to you. You know, like UNLV is has looked rough on the whole, but you know, at least they moved the ball a little bit against Arizona State, and at least they hung against you know uh, an FCS team, a pretty good FCS team. You know, so I'm trying to not to say like they have zero chance of winning this game, but I think if they're going to do it, you know, even if Brumfield is the starter, you know, what you saw last week was sort of like a it struck me as sort of like a non-commitment to whatever plan B that Arroyo was was cooking up, you know. And I put this out there in the winners and losers column I wrote on Sunday. I said, you know, if you knew that Martel was going to see the game, and the way that the Joe Arrigo of franchise franchise sports media had framed it was early and often. We didn't see Martel until the third quarter. Yeah. And while, you know, I, I think his status is still up in the air, there was some video footage from video uh, from practice on Tuesday when we were recording this of Tate Martell in a walking boot. So I don't know if they're necessarily going to be able to pull that out again. But with that in mind, like, if you're this much of an underdog, you can't play it straight. What I want to see from UNLV is I just want to see a little more variety in their game plan. I want to see them run more fly sweeps, maybe run a double pass or, or something like that. You know, I, I want them to kind of scour every inch of the playbook to find every advantage that they can get because I think as composed at present, you know, running Charles Williams into the line of scrimmage 15 to 20 times a game <laughs> is admirable, but it's just not cutting it. Well, you're right. They have decent receivers that can make plays, like Tyler Collins and stuff. They've guys out there. And, and Brumfield, if he gets a full game in there, maybe he can do something because the Fresno defense has made plays, but they're not. Like this amazing defense, like they, I mean, we there's there's reason to questions coming into the season. They made plays, but like success for me and UNLV in this game is like losing by three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. That might be considered a success, and keep Fresno under fifty. 
Yeah, I mean, I, th- I just think that, you know, I think UNLV's best chance is to try to do, you know, something of what they did against Arizona State for as long as it was working, you know, working short passes, working the intermediate game, getting Brumfield some easy throws, some easy completions so that the, so that the Bulldogs at least have to respect the passing game a little bit because I think as soon as they get to just key on Charles Williams and, and tee off on uh, Brumfeld when they get into, you know, ob- more obvious passing situations, you know, the sooner that happens, it's the longer that nights can end up being for the rebels. But I think if there's one so, potential hindrance, you know, we saw it with, with DTR in, in like the third quarter, especially, um, you know, it's not an infallible pass defense. And so that that's the thing that I would keep in mind if I was a UNLV fan is just, you know, how how well can or how much progress can Brumfield make as a thrower, as a passer on the field? Because he, he, he's been shown that he can create big plays like that's not an issue. But, you know, it's just finding more efficiency, finding more consistency, the ability to just move the chains a little more often. Yeah, I, I don't know if they will. That's the thing I. That's what I'd, that's ideally, but this yeah. is still a situation. I'm not where saying it's going to happen. Play I'm just saying I think that's the most likely path to victory for them. There is no, I know you're being nice, but there's no path to victory for UNLV. Okay, I don't, so what's your what's no. your prediction then? It's going to be forty to ten. I'm going to go forty to ten, and that and that means UNLV covers by half a point. So, uh, like, so there are no SP plus projections that I think they typically come out on Wednesday. So if you don't follow, uh, Bill Connolly at ESPN underscore Bill C on Twitter, um, you know, he usually tweets it out sometime during midday, I think. Um, FEI favors Fresno State by 20.7 though. Do I know what the ESPN FPI football predictor or matchup predictor says? Is it like what, take- 98% or something like that? You're close, ninety-seven percent. Huh. There's it's it's a it's a blowout in that making. Like Fresno's a top twenty-five team, probably even better since the Oregon game. They should be ranked a bit higher, but they're if I'm serious, like forty to ten might be conservative, but thirty and a half points is a ton to take. But I think it'll be just close to that. But I think forty to ten is um, realistic. Yeah, I've got I've got the Bulldogs winning forty-nine to seven. Forty-nine to seven. All right, so what's next for you? Or next to us, uh, Saturday, we have one, two, three, four, lots of games on Saturday. I'm not going to count them all because that's boring. We got nine games so, on Saturday, eight games on Saturday, excuse me. Okay, all right, eight games. So here we go. Boise State at Utah State. Regular CBS, Matt, that's a big deal. In Logan, Maverick Stadium. If I had to give you a hundred bucks before the season started, would, would you think Utah State would be undefeated? Would you think Boise State in a heartbeat? Well, I mean, I, you know what? Honestly, I didn't think either team would be undefeated. Okay. But we got Utah State, 3-0. Home dog, nine points. Is that too generous? That's that's interesting. That's a lot, I think. Over-under is 70 points. 70. And I think that leads more toward Utah State scoring points. Because what we know about Boise State is – yeah, they put up 31 versus UCF. That's solid. 54 versus UTEP is more like, well, it's UTEP. And the Oklahoma State, they scored zero points in the second half and 20 overall. To me, if you're telling me it's 70 points, Utah State should be favored. Right? I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. Nine, the, nine's too many, right? The only, right? Reason, 
So the only reason I say that is because, you know, we've seen three games now from out of, out of the Aggies in particular, and mm-hmm. they've, they've given a lot of ground, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so I think the biggest question in this game is like, you know, is the outcome going to look more like a mix of what we saw last week between the Aggies and Air Force and, you know, what, what Boise State was able to do against UTEP or are the Aggies going to be able to find defensive answers? So just in terms of like, you know, just straight up yards per play, for example, this is including, you know, all three games. The Aggies are dead last in terms of yards per play in the Mountain West, 6.88. Um, that is not good. And the reason why, you know, I would say a substantial reason why they've been able to, you know, stay on top of things is because, you know, they're, they're plus one in terms of overall turnover margin. They've created five turnovers and it seems like every single one has been like extremely timely. You know, you're just thinking back to last week's game against the Falcons, for instance, you know, they had like, the, you know, the, the interception, um, you know, inside the, inside the five yard line that stopped a Falcons touchdown drive. Um, you know, the, the fact that they trailed Washington State for what, 55 minutes before they came back and rallied in that game in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. The fact mm-hmm. that they, that they, they absorbed a pretty substantial body blow from North Dakota before the offense kind of clicked and put it together right away with it. Yeah, there's which, issues. Which is not to say that, you know, Utah State can't win this game, but they've got to prove that they can make more stops on defense. And if they can't, then Boise State's all of a sudden going to start looking a lot better, you know, than they did last week, late, especially late what in the game. Make, okay, what makes you think Boise State's going to be better? Their offensive line's garbage. They couldn't, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't stop the run. Defensive line can't do anything. They give up 200-something yards in the first half. Hank Bachmark gets hit all the time. He's running for his life. Why? Just because Utah State gives the ball those yards, what makes you think Utah, Boise State's just going to go out there and get five plus yards to carry? What proof okay, do you how have? Many, how, many, how, many, how many sacks do you think Utah State has in the first three games? Um, oh, geez. If you ask me that, probably not many. I don't know. What, four. Three? They have four sacks okay. in three games. That, okay. that is also also dead last in the conference. Okay. I'm not saying it's not issues, but I'm saying what, from Boise's perspective, what makes you think they can move the ball well against somebody, against anybody? Like, because you we just, just saw, we just saw them do it two weeks ago against UTEP. And you can't just ignore that because. Utah I guess it's UTEP. Utah I'm ignoring is, UTEP. No, no. <laughs> UTEP is a better team than, than the last couple of years. And we're going to talk more about them in, in a little bit, actually. Yeah, what I'm, what I'm saying is, like, we've, we've seen Boise do this, be able to move the ball, even if, you know, not necessarily as balanced as they want to be. We've seen them do it. And so the big question is, are they going to be able to do it against Utah State? Because through three games, Utah State has shown that they can be moved. That's what I'm saying. It's true, but also Utah State's averaging six, six, six and a half, six point eight yards per carry offense as well. And Boise State's near the bottom of the Mountain West at 5.3 yards on their offensive end. So Boise's not moving the ball very well for them. And so, yeah, Utah State's defense isn't great. They're not, they're not sacking the quarterback. They're allowing a lot of yards. But also, you know, they played Air Force. Look what Air Force likes to do. Like, they played a run-heavy team in Air Force and a pass-heavy team in Washington State. So maybe those numbers are skewed a little bit because who they've played. Because those two teams get the yards regardless. But... I'm not saying it's a great defense, but there's a few things to consider when you're looking at who they played. 
into what, what these teams can do. But then, like, the offense, like, again, Boise made adjustments. The second half of Oklahoma State was pretty good, was really good because they shut down Jalen Warren. But, again, he still had over 200 yards on his own. Like, Utah State's figured out a little bit what they're doing on the ground. So, and also with Utah State, we don't really know the quarterback situation, but apparently it doesn't seem to matter if it's Andrew Peasley or, or Logan Bonner. They still seem to be perfectly fine, which could be another issue with Boise State preparing for two quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot going right for Utah State. Like defense, uh, yeah, defense isn't great, but I mean, Calvin Tyler Jr. Is running, has four touchdowns. He's getting six yards of care. He's figured things out. Like their Devin Tompkins is probably what him and Jalen Cropper, the best and Romeo Dubs, the best receivers in the conference. Like they have the offense is going to move the ball. That's why I think the over under like seventy points because it's going to be a freaking shootout. I mean, I think you know what you mentioned about Calvin Taylor Jr. and the Utah State running game in particular. I think that's the rub for Boise because yeah, because we saw you know last week that you know Jalen Warren was able to run all over him. And to their credit, you know, they adjusted after halftime. It's, it's worth remembering that most of Warren's production came in the first 30 minutes. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, one thing that Boise State's going to have to prove is just, you know, the ability to, to, you know, stiffen up a little bit sooner. You know, in terms of the, the that per carry average between the first half and the second half, for instance, and this is true of, of, of all the games that they played so far. In the first half of games, they're allowing 5.75 yards per carry. After halftime, that drops to three yards per carry. Hmm. So I, I think that, you know, that, you know, the, the ability is there. We just haven't seen them put all the pieces together yet, at least not over the course of 60 minutes. It's like, you know, they, you know, they look great for, for like 20 minutes and then they make one or two mental errors and then, you know, they lose the edge, they lose the lead and then they shoot themselves in the foot unnecessarily in the third or fourth quarter. And that's basically been the story of their season so far. But again, we saw an entirely different story against UTEP. And so, like I said, if the offense can get right, then I think the only other question is, you know, are they going to be able to stop Utah State's running game? Because I think Boise State's back end is probably a little bit better at this point than the front end. You know, they've got rangy guys back there who can make plays. And so I think, you know, that, you know, Boise State's defensive line versus Utah State's offensive line is probably where this game turns one way or the other. So who has the edge, do you think? See, that's the thing. Because, you know, Boise State, they haven't had, like, that one guy that's been able to step up. Like, I believe they actually just lost divine obituary injury, at least for the foreseeable future. So, you know, that's one more guy up front that they're going to be without. You know, uh, Isaiah Bagnaw had, like, one good game against US, UCF and has been relatively quiet ever since. You know, Scott Matlock's had a couple of good games. Shane Irwin's had a couple of good games. I think they just need to pull it together as a unit. Which isn't, which isn't to say that it can't be done. I just, I, I think that particular matchup is too close to call one way or the other. So when we look at advantages on this team, who has advantage, like a, a couple areas, like who's the better quarterback situation, Boise or Utah State? I mean, I guess just based on offensive production, you almost have to say Utah State. Okay. You know, they, they, have, they have the they have the That's advantage that. as far as you know, um, you know, yards per play uh, over yeah. Boise State to this point in the season, which isn't to say that Boise State's been bad, but they've been average on a per on a per play basis. Same thing with like you know points per drive. You know, Utah State's at uh, 
uh, they rank 17th in terms of offensive points per drive and 104th on defense. Boise, by contrast, is 51st on both sides of the ball. So they've been, you know, okay, but not great. They also yeah. haven't been any better or worse by that metric than they were last year either. It's just, you know, it's sort of like a mystery wrapped in an enigma almost. Or like the talent hasn't gone anywhere. It's just, a, you know, eliminating the mental mistakes that has more or less been the difference between their two losses this year. I would... Running game, Utah State, right? For right now, yeah. It has to be. Receiving, pretty close. Because Kalosha here is doing... He's nearly doing what... Dev, well, he's in the neighbor of Devin Tompkins. Not quite there, but he's close enough. But... Defense, Boise State, most part, but they're still good players in Utah State. So, like, I think Utah State's going to do it. So what's the spread on this game? Nine. Boise's a nine-point road favorite. Like, give me a break. What? There, there should be no reason they're a nine-point favorite, right? So FBI so they, favors, favors Boise State by 8.4. I don't get it. Why? What are they seeing? Like, Boise had close loss, two close losses, and I admit I go back to like the UCF game. I honestly don't know how uh, they got to pick six, but they did not look as good as UCF on the field at all. I know they moved the ball reasonably well and stopped them sort of a little bit. It's UCF, but athletically and everything, I felt UCF was by far the more superior team, and I'm surprised it's that close after watching a little bit. But I, I don't know, man. Like. FPI puts Boise two to one to win, sixty six six percent. But I think Utah State can do it. I I'm going Aggies to win the game. So what's your what's your final score prediction? Oh man, it's it's going to be close. It's not going to be nine point. Nobody's going to win by more than a touchdown. I'll say it's going to be thirty five. Uh, no, let's see. That's all touchdowns. Let's go thirty two. 30, no, 31-27, Utah State. I'm going to say count out Boise State at your own peril. I am. I'm doing it today. Fine. Come after me. Hey, I made the bold prediction I'll be 1-5. So, I'm, I'm going to take the Broncos. I don't think they're going to cover, but I think they're going to win. No way. I do. Yeah, I'm going to say 31-23. to 23. And did we mention this is 10 a.m. local kickoff? Yeah, so roll out of bed, get your mimosas going, get your get your morning buzz going on, and then just kind of cruise for the rest of the day. That's how I, that's how I do it anyway. Would you pay forty bucks to watch this game? That's the get in price right now. I probably would. Yeah, I totally. This this is gonna be a good game. All right, next game. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. San Jose State's back from their, back from their bye. 
They are going up against Western Michigan, the MAC. It is on another ESPN Plus game, so make sure. Oh, my mic fell. Apologies, people. Fat noise. They play Western Michigan Broncos, who are two and one. It is a not 11 a.m. local, or excuse me, 11 a.m. kick uh, Pacific time. ESPN Plus out in Kalamazoo. Also, this is a a unique Western Michigan favorite by three points, Matt. That's a little interesting too, isn't it? Only if you haven't been paying attention to the Broncos, the Max Broncos. You always tell me. You, you, you tell me that. I know the one in last week. Last we saw, they hit Pitt, Pitt last week. Pitt's a Pitt's yeah. a, Pitt's an okay Power Five team. It's a they're a solid Power Five team. But did, did you see the commentary that they put out there um, after the game? I did not. What, what, what did they say? I heard them. I heard them mention it on the Split Zone Duo match a, a podcast. They, they, I think they were talking with Tim Lester, the Western Michigan head coach, and he said they basically watched film from the Syracuse game from like eight years ago. And they knew exactly <laughs> what Pitt was going to do. Um, which was all to say that Pitt is probably going to fire Pat Narduzzi soon, which is, that's another story. But Western Michigan is a team that is, that is basically all gas and no breaks. You know, they have a very, very powerful offense, which, you know, even though they got blown out by Michigan, like they didn't make a lot of obvious mistakes. Like they, they had, you know, most of the game where they moved the ball. They just weren't always able to kind of finish their, their opportunities. But, you know, they have one of the better quarterbacks anywhere in the group of five and Caleb Ellaby, who, you know, dating back to last year has an interception rate under 1%, um, That's good. in nine games. So like he's, he's efficient. He's explosive. He gets the ball to his playmakers. And they also have a, a pretty strong running back duo in uh, Ladarius. I'm trying to what's his name? Ladarius Washington, I believe it is. Um, and I'm, the other guy's name escapes me. Do you have it in front of you? Um, I was like, I was going to mention that you see Tim Luster is not going to be on the sidelines for this game. I did, yeah. He's he's vaccinated, but he caught COVID nineteen, so he's not going to be coaching. Yeah, he's not coach. So do you think that's going to play a big factor if him not being there? Maybe. I think it will. Look it up in the Spartans where they miss half their coaching staff in the bowl game. That's true. But there's a difference between missing your entire half your staff. And I know. Back. I know. Yes, the running backs are Ladarius Jefferson and Sean Tyler. Jefferson. Sorry, I didn't have the tab in front of me and I was trying to open it. Who has it, five it touchdowns? Help, it also doesn't help that they haven't released their depth chart yet, which is mildly annoying. Yeah, Corey Crooms catches the ball in the out deep. They have three decent receivers over 10 catches each. So you're right, the offense is pretty explosive. 12 touchdowns on the year. No interceptions from LB. As you mentioned, he has that low, that low percentage rate, interception rate. So, honestly, this would be a good test for Spartans defense because we, you mentioned, or I don't remember if it was on one of our pre- previous shows or one of your winners and losers, like Kadal hasn't done a ton this year. He's just been out there doing stuff, not really being but player of the year um, type of player. Mm-hmm. But this will be, this will be a team like, they expect a lot of points, but, you're gonna need him. You need Fahoka, All these guys to come up and figure out how to stop something that Western Michigan does well. Because I don't think Western Michigan will be able to do both things extremely well. But so the Spartans got to kind of not that they need to pick, but they need to figure out. And I think if they play their best, they'll be in there. But they can't allow Western Michigan to run and pass well. If yeah, they run I mean, well, that's bad. Fine. They can't do both well. One has to. One area needs to be slowed or shut down to assist his partner to get to victory. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that like Western Michigan across the board doesn't have the same t- kind of talent that USC has, for instance. But I think that USC game is instructive <laughs> because we know that the Spartans were able to put the clamps on the Trojans for the better part of three quarters. And it mm-hmm. wasn't until they, you know, they blinked and they made a couple mistakes late that the game really got away from them. I think the yeah. big difference between them is that Western Michigan, you know, they, they have three fumbles this year. But again, LB hasn't thrown an interception. So I think the difference between him and, and someone like Kevin Slovis is that he's far less mistake prone through the air. And so, you know, you look at that on one hand and you look at the, on the other hand, you know, the, the Spartans haven't lost like the propensity for getting their hands on the football. You know, they're, I believe, tied for first in the, in the conference with, with Hawaii in terms of like passes defended. Um, 20 pass breakups, zero interceptions. In three, three games. games. You'd like which a is, couple which is, more. Which is more curious than anything. You know, you, cause, you know, they say that there's a correlation between, you know, being able to, you know, defend passes and, and interceptions, which is probably an obvious kind of connection. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but San Jose State's gonna have to find a way to, like, you know, create those breaks, whether they're fluky, like, tip drill interceptions or anything like that. I think, you know, it bodes well that that they were able to frustrate Slovis, that they, you know, they were able to frustrate Siobhan Cordero last week for the most part. You know, even if the, the, the flashy numbers haven't necessarily popped out yet, I think that, you know, they, as a team, they're just as good as they were in 2020. For me, the bigger question is, what is the offense going to do? Because if Western Michigan is anything, and is also a team that really struggles, you know, to, to, to stop other teams from moving the ball. You know, we talked about, you know, UNLV being sort of a pushover. We talked about Utah State being a pushover. On defense, the Broncos are exactly the same way. You know, in, in terms of like garbage time, uh, you know, yards per play allowed, 8.64 in the games Ooh. that they played against Pitt and Michigan State. That's 124th nationally. And that's more of a continuation of what they were, you know, the kind of game that they played for the most part in 2022. There were a lot of shootouts. A lot of games that ended in the 40s. So while the offense hasn't lost any of its potency, I don't know if we could say the same for San Jose State because you know Nick Starkle's mm-hmm. been a little more mistake prone than he was last year. Um, you know the running game appears to have gone back to being non-existent if Tyler Nevins isn't playing. Um, but you know Western Michigan doesn't necessarily have like a ton of playmakers that could that that could offer a lot of resistance if San Jose State is able to put things together. You know they've got you know one defensive lineman Ali Fayad who's he's sort of an all caliber guy. You know three and a half tackles for loss. They have another defensive lineman Ralph Holly who has a pair of, of TFLs. But they haven't been able to real really seal the deal as often as you might expect. So if San Jose State can put it together. You know, again, they can make this into a shootout, but I don't necessarily know that they want to turn it into a shootout. I think they would rather get a lead and be able to just, you know, have their stars take over on defense. Well, I can see that because both, like, if you look at the better unit so far, like offenses that move the ball, but I think it's safe to say Spartans defense, mm-hmm. even if it hasn't been playing amazing. Like the, you're right, what you mentioned earlier, USC game, but three quarters they played well. That's the one area that's going to make the difference in this game if San Jose, San Jose State's defense steps up and plays close to what we expected. Mm-hmm. Because, again, remember, there's no they throw no picks. You mentioned there's been no interceptions on San Jose State. Like uh, the 
West, the Broncos have a couple of good running backs, they have three good receivers. It's going to be a test, so it's going to, be, I think it's going to be all the points, but I think that's going to make the difference is, at least if you're, if we're predicting, if you say that San Jose State's going to win, it's because their defense steps up and makes the plays. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? What's going to happen? So FEI favors Western Michigan, um, by eight points, interestingly. Oh boy. I just I just don't know if I've seen enough from the Spartans to think that they can keep up. You don't oh no victory say okay. No, I'm gonna take Western Michigan to win thirty-eight to thirty-four. Ooh, the Broncos are gonna win. It's on the road, that's tricky. Um I think with the off week, that's why I'm gonna take San Jose State to win. But it's gonna be because over under sixty-three points. Because neither defense is amazing, so I think that that's going to be they'll blow past that. I think I'm going to go well, not blow past. I'm going to go 38 33 for San Jose State. All right, so you're basically flipping. The I think, score. yeah, that's what we're going to do. I, I kind of think because off week to get things going, and but the quarterback's Nick Starkle as well, so it's like there you go. And I guess we need to mention Isaiah Hamlet will catch a touchdown pass return this game as well. All right, that, oh, so that's, All right, that's an oddly specific and bold prediction. I'm going to hold you to that. Why not? He's their best receiver. Why won't he just? Okay, I'm, gl- I'm glad you stuck it in there then. Oh, wait, really? Do you know Tyron Evans' status? I haven't seen anything about it. He didn't play last time, two weeks ago, so we'll keep it out for that for a preview. So look and see, because if he plays, there's another reason to take the Spartans. So, Alright, next game, which will be, um, surprisingly, you would think this game would be the biggest line of the weekend, but it's like number three. <laughs> or something, looking at the, what we have for the whole weekend. Colorado State and their newly formed amazing defense from last week goes in there to take on number five Iowa. FS1. 130 Mountain, 230 Central. <laughs> it's, I, I'm sorry, I'm laughing too much at the over-under. The over-under is 44 and a half. The line is 23 points. <laughs> that does not surprise me in the least. It's just what what they could be thirty three ten thirty four ten is what they're saying. Yeah, something like that. I guess so. But uh, do the Rams have okay? Does the confidence? Do you have any more confidence the Rams can do something to make this game interesting after their defense actually showed up and played well last week? Say that question again. The defense played better for the Rams, right? Yes. Last week, yes, they did. Does that give you any confidence they can keep maybe keep this game interesting for a little bit? I'm gonna say yes. How interesting. <laughs> and, and okay, so so that depends entirely on like how extremely Iowa Iowa is. Yeah. So so like you know, they're ranked number five in the they're ranked number five in the country, right? Do you sure. have any idea <laughs> like what their offensive production has looked like to this point? Uh, let's see. They have Kirk Ferentz as their head coach. He's been there for a million years. Uh-huh. They they like to run the book a lot. I I couldn't name you a quarterback ever who's been reasonably good at that program within the past fifteen years. So I'm going to say it's just been mediocre at best. So um, <laughs> no, first of all, <laughs> so okay. So in terms of like SP plus, for example. And this is this is just to tell you like this is a very Iowa team through three games. Defensive SP plus they're second. Makes sense. In the country. Special teams they're ninth. Offensively they are seventy. Oh, only seventy? Sorry. Only 70. I was looking at 
Okay, hold on. Yeah, I'm not for... done yet. I'm not done yet, though. Oh, there's more. Wait, there's yeah. more. So they're tied for they're tied for last in the Big Ten as far as yards per play on offense. That's good enough. Nineteenth in the country in yards per play. Four point four nine. Yeah. So, um, you know, even if you adjust that for garbage time, it's still not that much better. It's only four point six one, according to Brian Fremo over at uh, B- uh, BCF Toys. Um, you know, mm-hmm. offensive points per drive also not terribly impressive. Like they're only averaging two points per drive on offense, which is 70th. So that's below average. So the only reason I say yes is because if Colorado State is able to hold on to its gains from last week, which, you know, we talked about in the recap, that's the kind of defense I expected to see. Then, yeah, they could absolutely make Iowa's life miserable on that side of the ball. But if the offense can't find anything, that de- oh, that defense, man, whew, that is a good defense. Because- yeah, that's the thing too. Like it's at least like if Dante Wright is not able to play, if he's, his foot thing is bothering him still. So this game could be potentially. Remember when they played Alabama a couple years ago, mm-hmm. maybe five years ago, where they had like some the offense did nothing, but they had like a defensive touchdown and they scored had like a short drive. It was a reasonably close game, like it was within seventeen points or something. Uh-huh. It was kind of a fluky, but they had like a defensive score, short field to kind of assist them. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but like they've. If the defense plays well, it's going to need something like that where they fed the touchdown, Ryan Stonehouse kicks him in the corner and they can't move the ball because you're stuck inside the 10-yard line. Like, they're going to need to flip the field. The defense is going to have to slow down. Iowa offense clearly isn't great. Is or They're not good. Let's just put it that way. They're just a Big Ten team, and they just try to mow you over through a giant 300-pound offensive lineman to run the ball. But if they could slow him down and find anything in offense, and here's what it's going to be too. It can't be, like you mentioned in the recap that we know every week, Todd Santeo focuses on like two, two receivers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Dante Wright and their tight end. They don't throw the ball around. He's going to have to find multiple people open. He's going to have to throw to different people because he's focused on those two guys. I was going to figure out, and like, all right, we won't let him catch the ball, and he's going to just run for his life and – do whatever back there. They're that or, or David Bailey's going to get like 30 carries in this game. Yeah, they'll need that too. But I mean, if the passing game is going to be helpful, they're going to need to find more than two receivers. They've been focusing on the entire season. Sateo needs to get back to the kind of quarterback he was like in the first half of the, of the South Dakota State game and the first half of the Vanderbilt game because that, that was a guy who, whatever he lacked in flash, he didn't make mistakes, you know, like, you know, even if he was maybe relying on one or two guys, it's because those one or two guys were almost always open. Yeah. Like if, if he can get back to that and play, you know, functional mistake free football, then that's another reason that they could possibly hang around. But I think, you know, the problem for, for, for them is that Iowa State's got like a very, very strong front seven. You know, Zach Van Valkenburg is obviously kind of the big name, but yeah, they've got a, a kind of an up and coming freshman and Lucas Van Ness who already has three sacks. He's not even the only guy with three sacks on that, on that defense. Joe Evans, the defensive end, uh, also has that. You know, this is a team that knows how to get after the quarterback, knows how to shut down a running game. Um, so I just, you know, I, I see the path. I think with as good as Iowa State is on, on defense in particular. I just don't know that Colorado is going to have much much breathing room that the Hawkeyes are going to give them. 
There's not. And one thing too, I was looking at here, like we say their offense is pretty poor Iowa. They still have Tyler Goodson who averages five yards a carry. Yeah. So they could use him while like Spencer Patrick isn't doing amazing things. Only two touchdowns been sacked six times, but they can just run the ball if they need to. And that's kind of what I think they'll probably lean on to do. Assuming the Rams defense, maybe it doesn't hold water like last week, but mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be a long day, but here's what I'm going to say. If, if the Rams defense plays like last week and Bailey can run reasonably, reasonably well, like well by meaning what 20, 18 carries for 70 yards might be reasonably mm-hmm. well against this team. Like they might be able to keep it within two touchdowns, but that still might be asking a lot. But that's if the Rams defense plays as good as last weekend. If they do, it might be so, like we mentioned before, somewhat interesting. Mm-hmm. But I always going to win regardless, so there's that. Let's put that away right now. There's CSU is not winning this game. So uh, FBI favors the Hawkeyes pretty pretty big time, actually. Bigger than I thought. 22.6. Hmm. So what do you, what do you got? I, I'm going to go 27.10. Okay, yeah, I, I can easy see something like that. An easy, that's if the Rams play great. There's two ways. If they play... Like they did before, it could be like fifty to three. Because remember, this team lost to South Coast State and Vanderbilt, like, and they were leading Vanderbilt. But it's a mixed master team. If the Rams play the best, it'll be within seventeen points. If they don't, it'll be like seriously forty to ten or something like that. But I'm going to go twenty-seven to ten. I think they're they're figuring a few things out defensively, and it'll be a a, a, a victory for Iowa. It's like a little interesting. They won by 17 points, but they're still in control the whole game. That's what I think it's going to be. I think Iowa's going to roll. Ooh. Uh, 42 to 10. <laughs> 42 to 10. Fine. All right. It's a big game there. All right. Wyoming at UConn. CBS Sports Network. 3.30 Eastern out there in Source, Connecticut. 1.30 Wyoming. We've seen UConn this year. However, they have a new head coach because Randy Edsel um, just – up to, I'm out of here, folks. I'm he, done. He pieced out, yeah. Yeah, 29 and a half point favorite for Wyoming, only 55 over under. You know, I thought I thought about this, and it made me wonder, like, what? How how often do we see a road favorite with that big of a spread? That's not an FCS team. That's not an FCS team. Well, what was Arizona State UNLV, or what was Iowa, Iowa State UNLV was 30 points last week for the Hawkeye, or for the, uh, Cyclones. That's true. I guess it happens a little more often than I thought. <laughs> but, uh, but that also, under the comment, that was a ranked team mm-hmm. playing somebody. This unranked Wyoming team. So, I think this is a bit more different than that. There's, you see a handful of times, but usually it's like that. I remember like in the, when Nebraska was actually good at football. Mm-hmm. They are going to the road for anybody. They're forty point favorites and they beat team sixty to two or something. Like they yeah. maybe get a rain field goal or safety because they get the defense pins them back and the punter loses the ball over the head. But Wyoming is going to be four zero. UConn, like you mentioned before, SP plus might literally be the worst football team ever. Ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty dire. Yeah, Lou Spanos is a lot going on. Um, so the, it looks like they are within the quarterback situation because last week, um, it was Steven Krzyzewski. Is that correct? Uh, Krzyzewski. 
Krajewski, sorry. That, that's a, it's an interesting name to say there. He, he listed as a starter, but Spanos, um, there's a weekly press conference last week. He's basically said the best quarterback is gonna, who gives him the best chance to win is going to play, which, duh, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. and so they had fresh, they, they had freshman Tyler Pomachon? Pomachon? Oh, I got it right? Good. The PH, you never know. So he did the first steps. We'll see who's gonna play quarterback, but, they got blown up by our army. They were down what thirty five points early on. Um, right now, it's the um, it is a freshman who should be starting this week. But I don't know. Like the depth, he's going crazy. Like Nate Carter is now the starting running back. They have all these different players who are backups getting starters. So I don't know if he's just playing for next year. He, who knows if Luke Spanos is going to be even back next year? I think he's trying to play to mix things up to help his Huskies team do the best he can by, all right, you're the backup this week, you're starting. We're going to see what you got. You're going to get time to play. You're going to earn this job and show that you're an FBS college football player worthy of scholarship and doing well. So, right, like almost every single position, like the guard position, wide receiver is switched up. Um, defensively, they've changed with the safety, taken over who's starting, who's not starting. It's been a lot of changes on this team, and so I think they're like they're just trying to do whatever they can, and they're going to see who can play. Because you're a practice guy, okay, or you're not a practice guy. There's guys who don't practice and they come out and play, and they're amazing players in the field. So maybe the, all these guys really, you know how it is. Like if I just had, if the coach put me in this one time, guys, we would have won the game. Well, here's your chance, guys. Coach is going to put you in, and maybe this is the little spark they need to maybe make something interesting in this game, but. It's still not going to be enough. Well, I mean, with Xavier Valley, who hasn't really been amazing this year, expect him to probably have 120-something yards in this game. Sean Chambers to throw, like, 12 different receivers. This is going to be another blowout because, well, I mean, this defense is really good. Maybe we'll see another pick six. I don't know. Defensive score. But I don't see what UConn can provide to – Either stop or score against this Wyoming team. Do you do you realize that UConn still doesn't have a receiver that cracked 100 yards on the season? Nope, I haven't. I did not see that. That's embarrassing. And they played four games. That's that's pretty sobering, to be honest. Oh my gosh. I mean, you know, because I I throw a lot of of the you know the advanced metrics out there and the traditional metrics and like I, I could do that for the Huskies, but the, you you kind that's of cool. already. Get a sense of where they rank in all these things. Like, it is, if it's not at the bottom, it's near the bottom. By basically every metric on both sides of the ball. So, you know, with that amount of turnover, you know, I, I think I I feel the most empathy for like the guys who have hung around and continue to tribute contribute. You know, and I think of like the guys we talked about up front, like you know Travis Jones. He's a big, you know, you know he, he takes up a lot of space on the interior. He's got, you know, three TFLs in four games, which isn't bad. You know, between him and Kevin Jones, six TFLs yeah. between them. You know, Omar Ford has stuck around and he's been sort of a tackling machine. Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, at a certain point, yeah, you've got like two or three pieces, but you're also just getting murdered week after week. Um, so I mean, I think if, if I'm Wyoming, I just want to see more of what I saw last week. I think that's sort of the ultimate goal. And even if it doesn't mean scoring 40 points, it just means seeing that same kind of efficiency that we've seen more often than not. You know, just, you know, being able to kind of carry that momentum into conference play, um, I think will be a huge boost, you know, because I, and, and I think, you know, Stephen Grogby on the, on the split zone duo podcast said it best, you know, this is sort of like the, the fully formed North, North Dakota State-esque 
team that you know, we were waiting to see, this might be the juncture where like now it's right in front of us. And, and this UConn game is maybe more of a tune-up than anything else for, for making yeah. good on what they have built over the last couple of years because they're good, they're deep, and they're healthy. And I think so, you know, just, you know, staying healthy and, and playing good is sort of like, you know, maybe that, maybe that's not a particularly insightful key to the game, but I think that's what you want. No serious injuries, you know, no haphazard, you know, obvious mistakes, you know, take care of business against a team that has no business being competitive in this game. So UConn has been giving up averaging over 40 points a lot per game. Yeah. Is Wyoming going to score more than 40 points? Yes. That's a benchmark. Okay. What's your score prediction then going to be? So, um, as you might expect, FEI does favor the Cowboys by quite a bit. They favor them over UConn by 28. Uh, okay, so what did you say the line for this game was? 29 and a half. Oh, I would take that easily. <laughs> it's like you told me, hey, hey, just take, take Fresno State week one. I'm like, you sure? 28 is a lot of points. I'm gonna say uh, I'm gonna say Wyoming fifty six to ten. I'm not sure they're more surprised at ten or fifty six. <laughs> Do you think they're gonna win by fifty six points? Would be the most points they've allowed all year. I don't even think I don't even think they're gonna have to do anything flashy to get it either. Forty nine to three for me. All right, then I will allow a token field goal. Forty nine to three. All right, next game. Townsend, oh boy, at San Diego State in Carson, California. 3-0 Aztecs. I guess what I want to know about this game, because Coach Brady Ho kind of vaguely gave an update on um, Jordan Brookshire. Like, he's like, oh, if we play, it's a stupid coaching. If we play tomorrow, he's not going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like with the Fresno game in UNLV, it's like, should he, should Lucas Johnson just get to start if he's not fully healthy? Or if he is healthy, Give him just a little bit here or there just to get out there and back in the field to see how he's doing because they're going to beat Townsend, beat him easily. Greg Bell's going to have a big game. Defense is going to shut them down. If he's good enough to play, let him play. But if it gets out of hand, which I think it would be, just let Lucas Johnson get some more carries and playing time out there because he played pretty well versus Utah. Like he rushed a reasonable amount. His throwing was just fine. But give him another chance to maybe play just in case. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that's the way they should handle this game. I mean, I think you're probably right because, you know, not like, not that Tosin is a pushover, but, you know, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, FCS teams threatening FBS teams in the first few weeks. And Towson isn't really that kind of team at present. You know, they were, you know, they got blown out at home by North Dakota State, which, you know, maybe you expect. But, you know, they had a, a nice win against New Hampshire. They, they, or, or rather they, they beat, they got beat by New Hampshire. Excuse me. I was looking at the score backwards. Um, you know, they beat Morgan State with a shutout in the opener. You know, this is, a, you know, it's, it's an okay FCS team, but it's not a team that really threatens you in, in pretty much any, any way. Um, you know, Chris Ferguson's a decent quarterback, but like his passer rating is, is only 113.99. So that's, that's, <laughs> For, for, for you folks out there, that's just not very good. Um, you know, their leading receiver has 146 yards in three games. So, you know, you look at a lot of their, you know, numbers, you know, rate metrics or whatever, you know, they're, they're, you know, 77th in FCS in terms of total offense. They're, you know, uh, in terms of total defense, they're 43rd, you know, so they got some playmakers, but, you know, they've been able, you can push them around on third downs. 
you know, they're only 70th on offense on third downs and, and maybe in the top 50, but they're, they're giving up, I believe, you know, 34, 35% of third downs on defense. But again, if San Diego just goes out and does exactly what it did last week, where, you know, throw only when absolutely necessary and otherwise just yeah. hand off to your legion of running backs, this is a game that they should win pretty easily. Yeah, there, there's no reason this should be. Yeah, this is an easy victory, right? There's no. Yeah. It's going to be a score. Oh, I'm sorry. I got like a bug in my room flying around. That's weird. Sorry. It's like <laughs> this giant came to my window. I'm like, holy crap. Sorry. Um, I'm going to go 35 10 San Diego State. 35 to 10. Uh, I'm going to go even bigger than that. I'm going to say 42 to 3. Okay. There you go. All right, next game. Very interesting matchup, which we don't see very often. Florida Atlantic coming to Air Force. FS2. Ugh. However, I shouldn't go because last week's FS2 game was the game of the week, Air Force and Utah State. So maybe the hidden channel will get some eyeballs or get a surprise game. But you have the um, FAU Owls, 2-1, and one, Air Force, 2-1, and one, Falcons, a four-and-a-half-point favorite. So Florida Atlantic out of the – they're still in the Sun Belt, right? They're no, they're football? Conference USA. Oh, they're in, yeah, okay. Conference USA. Apologies. They should have done that before. I thought they're in Sunbelt. But, so you have Florida Atlantic, 2 and 1 on the year. Going up against Air Force, and they played recently. They played Florida reasonably close. But the last two games, Georgia Southern and FCS Fordham, they've won pretty easily. And so, this is a, this is a team where, on Conference USA, as we mentioned, they don't travel as far. Just, um, sorry, I'm gonna ask you a question because I'm a dummy. Does Georgia Southern still run the triple option? They do. Is it Georgia State? But they okay. aren't particularly oh. good this year. Okay, I know. I knew it was Georgia State or Georgia Southern. I knew neither were amazing. So Georgia Southern runs a similar offense, or they attempt to run a similar offense. Mm-hmm. So that's something where that helps FAU out because if you're playing a run option team, which you don't see very often, and you play in back to back weeks almost, that's it's pretty good. But when you look over like they have, I would say their best aspect is what their passing game to Lejonte Wester, I'm guessing, because they they have no interceptions on the year. Nikoshi Perry doing quite well, over 63 percent of his passes. They have three receivers with over 10 catches, multiple guys scoring touchdowns. It's not just like Wester, but like Brandon Robinson and John Mitchell each have a couple of touchdowns each plus others. So they spread the ball out pretty well, which. I think this is going to clearly test this Falcons secondary and defense. The running game, it's okay, but it's not amazing with like, there's not like a huge top end runner that'll do extremely well things. They run it okay, but not good enough. This will be Falcons secondary needs to step up big in this game. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of hard to say like just how good Florida Atlantic is to this point because you know, they've, they've taken care of business against teams that they probably should have. You know, like Georgia Southern's not very good, neither is Fordham. Fordham. Um, yeah. but also they were definitely overwhelmed against, against Florida in the season opener. And so there's still a little bit of uncertainty because, you know, just in terms of passer rating, which isn't always the most accurate metric, but, you know, Perry's passer rating in the, in the Fordham game and the Florida game were almost exactly the same. So, like, it's sort of, it's definitely been a mistake-free offense all the way around. But, you know, for instance, in terms of, 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 uh, net points per drive, you know, you know, offensive, you know, st- you know, stinginess or versus defensive stinginess. Uh, the only team that's closer to zero 
is uh, is Missouri. You know, Florida Atlantic is minus point seven or minus point zero seven. Excuse me. Uh, in part because like their offensive production has been sort of eh to this point uh, against uh, FBS competition. You know, 1.82 yards points per drive is not bad, but it only ranks 77th nationally. They've actually been a little better on defense by that measure. So, you know, they, they have, I think, something to prove. But I would, and I would also say that, you know, Air Force's defense, especially after last week against Utah State, you know, they want to come out and prove that they're not going to get pushed around a second straight week. Like, I think, you know, they're going to want to get after Perry, you know, a little more than we saw them able to do last week against Utah State. You know, they got up, they got a couple of licks on, on Logan Bonner, but they weren't able to really seal the deal as often as I think maybe you and I would have expected them to. So I think if they can put pressure on them with the front seven and sort of, you know, dictate the terms of the game on both sides of the ball, you know, get ahead and force, you know, force them to rally. You know, you're looking at a Florida State, or excuse me, Florida Atlantic offensive line that's given up 10 sacks in three games already, too. So while they've been, you know, you know, turnover free, they also haven't always kept Perry on his feet either. And so I think that's something that that uh, Air Force is going to want to exploit. You know, that makes that makes a lot of sense. See, the, what, what has he been sacked 11 times? Uh, 10 times. Oh, 10. Okay. So yeah, and like I mentioned, linebackers for this group is deep because all the turnbacks are super experienced on this team. Like, it's hard to tell what Florida Atlantic really is because they can throw them pretty well. But I think with the amount of times he's been sacked and the lack of running game Florida Atlantic really has, because they're only four yards of carry, essentially 4.1, and the leading mm-hmm. rusher, Malcolm Davidson, only has 165 yards and no touchdowns. So yeah. just as he wants to pass, and Perry does pretty good. It's outside when he's not getting sacked for 60 total minus sack yards. Mm-hmm. And then like, he's not a guy who's going to run the ball either because of his 24 attempts, it's minus two yards. And remember, there's 60 sack yards in there. So it's not like he's, he's the quarterback that's scrambling to run. He's scrambling to stay alive. And so I don't know. This, this is a tough one. I want to say here's why I think it'll happen because Air Force clearly they run the ball. Brad Roberts, Ezekiel Daniels. They could do that pretty well and hold the ball. But also, remember, look what we saw last week for Utah State. How many downfield throws? Because that's what we're figuring out. Who's going to be their downfield threat? Because they typically, what, every other year has some guy who goes downfield. Like, hey, he's going to have only 25, 27 catches all year, but he has, like, 500 yards. Mm-hmm. Like, like look what they did last week for Aggie. Like, how many throws did they have, like, downfield? They had two two receptions over 50 yards. When does that ever happen? He averaged 30, Hazik Daniels last week averaged 30 yards per completion. Mm-hmm. Like, if that shows up again, there's no way Florida Atlantic can keep it close. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the keeper Air Force, you know, rather than trying to do something you don't often do, is just like, see how good the Owls are up front, actually. Because, you know, their, their season statistics are sort of skewed just based off of the competition that they've faced so far. You know, as a team, they're, they're giving up, you know, 5.5 yards per carry in the first three games. But that is because they got absolutely blown out of the water by the Gators. And then, you know, put the clamps on it, like I said, a pretty bad Georgia Southern running game and, you know, did so even more against Fordham. Like Fordham had 18 carries for 29 yards. That's not Air Force's game plan. I think Air Force's game plan is to lean on Daniels and Roberts on the ground and see whether or not the, the Owls can stop them. 
you know, through three games, they've only got 16 tackles for loss, which is, you know, sort of an underwhelming havoc rate, you know, which is not to say that they don't have talent up front. You know, Jalen Joyner has a couple tackles for loss. He's an up and coming sophomore. Evan Anderson, a freshman defensive lineman has a couple tackles for loss. But, you know, how well are those guys going to hold up when they're getting pushed around in the trenches for 60 minutes? That's not something that they've really seen at least relative from like, you know, Georgia Southern to Air Force. I think Air Force is just a better team than, than Georgia Southern at this point. All right. So what's, what does FEI say in this game? So FEI favors Air Force, although it does predict a fairly close game. They only favor the Falcons by 5.6 points. So what's your score? I think Air Force should be able to get it done. I just don't know that I'm totally sold on Florida Atlantic's defense being able to stop them over the course of 60 minutes. So while it's not going to get out of hand like it did against the against the Gators, I do expect the Falcons to win this one pretty comfortably. What did you say the spread was? Four and a half. Four and a half. I'm going to take the Falcons to win. I'm going to say 34 to 27. Okay, lots of points. Over under 54 and a half. Um, I do think there could be points, but I'm going a little bit lower than you. I think it's going to be 30 to 2021 20, for right, Air Force. Then. All right, Hawaii at New Mexico State. Hawaii is only 17 point favorite. It's a 6 p.m. local tip out there, or kick at Las Cruces. Um, I don't seem to have this in front of me. Is this fun? Is it on flow is, football.com? That's what I was about to say. It's on, it's on flow sports? Yes, it is. Oh boy! So what does that cost you? Sure somebody will rip it on YouTube or something, though. Um. Okay. So somebody, 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 out, somebody out there go be a hero. That's what we're saying. Twitch stream. Come on, remember Twitch stream. Stream. Do that. Um. Does Slow TV have a free trial? Sort. I don't know. That's I don't know. So we'll look at that later. Put that in the show notes or the uh, or the game notes, I guess. But Aggies are they do have a win, so they are better than. And they use better and loosely because they beat South Carolina State barely last week, 43-35. Is this South they Carolina really, State terrible? Yes, that's what I'm kidding. They're very bad. <laughs> um, okay. They lost to UTEP 30-3. We've already talked about them enough, so all that else is there really to say. Aztecs won 28-10. New Mexico 34-25. Aggies are UConn bad. Close to UConn bad, I guess. They're close. I guess the real quick rundown is um, the running game, they finally cracked 100 yards to one receiver running back in Juwan Price. Um, but he's not very good. Like overall, the three yards of carry, they have a couple receivers, to be fair. Terrell Warner and Jared Wyatt both have over 10 catches, but they've also played four games. Um, quarterback play, they're about 50% overall when they're going back and forth between who they have. Too many interceptions, they've been sacked a lot. There's not much like on this Aggies offense. So, okay, so I think the big question about the Aggies is whether or not, you know, their new quarterback is going to be able to kind of keep up, you know, the, the improvement that he's brought to the passing game. Because, you know, last we checked in with them, like it wasn't necessarily the most efficient game against the nope. Lobos a couple weeks ago. You know, uh, Dino Maldonado was only 13 and 24, but he had 192 yards. So when he, you know, he had a couple of big plays – and, you know, last week against South Carolina State, you know, he was a little, he was a little better than that. You know, he completed 75% of his passes, went over 300 yards, you know, averaged 10 yards an attempt and had three touchdowns. 
So, like you said, you know, they've at least shown that they can get their passing game on, on track. The challenge for Hawaii will be showing, or, you know, showing that last week's performance against San Jose State wasn't a fluke. You know, we talked about it a little bit with the Spartans earlier about how they've looked sort of uneven throughout the year for the most part. And, you know, to Hawaii's credit, you know, they've, they've been pushed around a couple times, but they found answers last week. And so, you know, if they can hold on to whatever pass rush they were able to generate, you know, that I think is going to be the one thing that, you know, New Mexico State hasn't really shown that they can hold up against a strong pass rush. If, if Hawaii can do that and get ahead early, then I don't think there's really any reason to suspect that, you know, Hawaii's offense won't be able to get on track either. Mm. What do, so what do you want to see from Hawaii then? Because this is a game where they need to get everything properly and going correctly for them. Like, is Didi Hunter going to the ball well? Calvin Turner, Shavon Cordero. Like, this is a game where, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, this this is where they play well. They should be able to beat them easily, as they should and will. But it's also like, all right, we've, this is a game where they get right to figure things out going forward. Because they're sitting at one and three. They, their one victory is what? The FCS team they played? Portland State. Whoever. Yeah, yeah, I forget. Yeah, Portland State. I forget who it was. But, like, Oregon State wasn't good. San Jose State, they were close, better, not close for UCLA. So this is the game where they want to figure things out because they got Fresno State coming up in a week after. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I want to see. Like, especially, D, I know the defense did a good job last week. I want to see them do it again because holding San Jose State to 17 points is a pretty good feat. So if they can hold the Mexico to, I don't know, whatever, but, like, under, I guess under two touchdowns, I guess 17 or fewer points would be ideal against a team that doesn't score very many as their own because it's they're expecting Hawaii to score a lot of points. But also I think the line and stuff is expecting the Aggies to get something because it's 61 and a half, and if it's 17, that's like 40 to 23 or something, essentially. I don't see Mexico State scoring tw- over 20 points, even for how bad Hawaii's defense has been. Like if you, they get to wanna, 20, okay, So you want to know what I see? What do you see? Oh. I want to see a better overall offensive performance out of the Warriors because when you look at their season numbers, you know, you think they're, you know, they're middle of the pack. They're okay. But a lot of that is obscured by what they did against Portland State. You know, when you look at what they've done in their three games against FBS competition so far, which again, not the easiest slate in the world. It's UCLA, it's San Diego State and, and, uh, and, and San Jose State. So three tough defenses, but. Siobhan Cordero is averaging, what, 50% in those three games? Uh, something like that. 46.2 completion rate in those three games. Um, you know, six point, what is it? 6.1 yards per attempt. You know, three touchdowns, four interceptions. Like his passer rating is half of what it was against Portland State. You know, 102.55, which again, not good. And, but, you know, that's not to say that he's been the only problem. Like, you know, the rushing offense is, you know, their overall performance is skewed because, you know, on the season, all four games, 3.7 yards per carry, which is not great. Um, but against the three FBS teams, 2.77 yards per carry. So, like, the offense has to put it together, which, you know, you want to say it's a given because New Mexico State is not. San Jose State and they are not UCLA and they're not, sure. um, you know, San Diego State. But I don't know that you would call that necessarily a slam dunk. 
like, you know, we've seen New Mexico State, you know, have signs of life on the offensive side of the ball. We've seen them create big plays. Hawaii's been in sort of that same boat, though. Like, we haven't really seen them create a ton of big plays against FPS defenses. And so that's what I want to see from them in this game, is I want them to get the running game going with Day-Day Hunter and Dedrick Parson. I want them to protect Cordero so he's not constantly running for his life. And I want them to find a downfield passing game that doesn't look like it's going to be a train wreck every time Cordero throws it up. No, you're not wrong. This is the game we want to see them figure things out. And they should. Yeah, like like case in point, right? I'm just going to throw this out there, and then maybe we can move on to predictions. On a you know net points per drive, New Mexico State's actually better through three games than Hawaii is as a team, and so I think that that is something worth keeping in mind. Like, and on the offensive side of the ball, there really, there really has not been much difference between them. You know, Hawaii per offensive possession, 1.16 points per game or points per drive, excuse me. That's 107th nationally. Mexico State's at 114th. So Hawaii, especially on the offensive side of the ball, has plenty to prove. And, you know, we, we might have, we might have joked about this game being a walk before the preseason. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it necessarily is right now because Hawaii has plenty to prove on the offensive side of the ball. They do, but they're still going to win. So what's the spread again? It's, um, 17. So, so FEI favors the Warriors, but they only favor them by 6.9. And honestly, that sounds Ooh. about right. Really? Hawaii's got to show me something, wow. man. I mean, I'm going to pick them the win, but I don't think they'll cover. Dude, they're uh, winning 35 to 3. No, I'm going to say 34. Yeah. I'm going to say what? No, I'm going to say 33, 33 to 30. Really? They're going to have to earn this one. Oh, man. Earn the game nobody can watch. Is that where we're sitting at? Yeah. <laughs> that, that actually you, that actually tracks. If you want a game and you struggle and it's close, put on Flow Sports. Sorry, Flow Sports. I actually did some work for Flow Sports like two years ago, so I apologize, but still. The, the, the official um, network of college football sickos everywhere. Exactly. All right, so final game weekend. New Mexico at UTEP, ESPN+. Plus. So, hey, guess what? Subscribe to ESPN Plus. You get two games this week. There you go. And they're spread apart. So, New Mexico at UTEP at the Sun Bowl, 6 p.m. Or, no, 7 p.m. local because UTEP is mountain time. Would you pay $36 for this game? Because that's what the lowest ticket price is here. It's a rivalry game, isn't it? It's, yes, former whack rivals. Yes, I remember... And when the University of Utah was really – well, yes, when they were really good at basketball and Rick Majerus was the head coach, when they had the UTEP to Mexico swing, like, all right, let's go one-on-one and hope we don't lose. Like, don't lose two because going 2 and is nearly impossible with those two teams when they're both mm-hmm. good. Former, former rival, former WAC teammate, teammates or conference – excuse me, conference mates, UTEP is 2-1. and one. They are better than they used to be. I guess they're not – so I just keep saying UConn bad. Is that the best uh, <laughs> reference? They're not UConn bad. Like, um, like they did get. No, I'll let you keep talking, then I'll give my take. Well, I was gonna just mention that they did get creamed by Boise State, and that's the only loss of the year. But they also crushed New Mexico State, which is uh, for them good improvement in doing well. Mm-hmm. Thirty to three in the opener. Yeah, because I mean, you know, UTEP is not like they're not a world beater yet. 
by by any stretch of the imagination. But I think you know nope, what nope, Vegas nope. what the Vegas line suggests is something that I agree with is that this is a litmus test on both sides. You know, because I think when you when you look closely at the matchup, you see two pretty evenly matched teams. You know, both have quarterbacks who are playing, you know, pretty well, all things considered. You know, we, we know all about Terry Wilson and what he's been able to do. You know, Gavin Hardison for, for the minors has completed 63% of his passes. You know, he's created a ton of big plays. He's actually at 10.4 yards per attempt. You know, maybe a few too many mistakes. You know, he's got five touchdowns against four interceptions. But, you know, this is a, a, an offense that has proven that it can move the ball a little bit, which is more than you could have said, you know, about the about these same minors in, in year one of the Dana Dimal era. Um, you know, they've got, you know, a, a quality running game that we talked about a little bit a couple weeks ago. You know, Ronald Watt and, and Willie Eldridge are both averaging over five yards per carry. Um, so, I mean, they've got pieces you know, they can be a balanced offense. And, and we haven't even mentioned Jacob Cowing. You know, 13 catches, 293 yards and three touchdowns. He's having a phenomenal start to his year. You know, he's a deep play threat who could hurt New Mexico if they're not careful. And, you know, we've seen over the last couple of weeks that both New Mexico State and Texas A&M were able to hit them deep down the field with broken coverages. And so UTEP is the kind of team that could very easily do the same kind of thing if New Mexico isn't prepared isn't disciplined enough. Yeah, it, it, you're true because these teams are. Well, New Mexico is doing better. They're still not beat going out beating beating all these good teams. So this is a good. This is gonna be similar to that New Mexico State game, mm-hmm. where it's gonna be close in scoring. It's gonna be come down to the end. And yeah, they played Texas in them last week, but Terry Wilson out there is gonna want to show up and prove what he can do in this game throwing the ball at quarterback mm-hmm. to Lobo's receivers. But when you look at what Utah can do, like, yeah, the Boise State game was tough. They, what did they score? Just 14 points in that game. 13 points, 54 to 3. But other things of all this is going to be, be an even more level playing field to, duh, clearly. The other mm-hmm. team's that good. I don't know. It's like, Gavin Harrison's decent. They have, basically, when you look at the pure numbers, or not in Mexico, excuse me, UTEP's like decent across the board. But they're not like great at anything. I guess their best thing would say Gavin Hartson completes sixty three percent. That's pretty good. Jacob Cohen's really good too, twenty two yards per catch. Like they're gonna have to stop that deep threat, and that's kind of what I think UTEP's gonna need to do. Like Ronald Awat does okay running the ball, a couple touchdowns, two hundred seven yards. They're good. For who they play, their numbers are fine. And I expect the numbers they've been putting up to be very similar in this game that they have been versus New Mexico State and their FCS victory, too. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I, I, I think the one thing that's going to go a long way towards determining how this game unfolds is how well New Mexico runs the football. Because, as you might expect, they got shut down last week against A&M, but they've been you know, pretty much okay running the ball at this point. You know, they, they weren't necessarily like, they haven't been terribly explosive, but you know, between Aaron Dumas and Bobby Cole, they've been a, a functional running game at best, um, you know, through the early going. And I think they have the potential for more because we saw it down the stretch last year. And, you know, it, I think UTEP, especially up front, has, you know, playmakers of its own who could very easily, you know, put a lot of pressure on Terry Wilson to try to win the game by himself. 
know, praise on Wule, you know, soft, sophomore defensive end who, you know, it might sound strange, but he could be an NFL draft pick in a couple of years out of UTEP. You know, four mm, tackles for maybe. loss. Keenan Stewart on that defensive line also has four tackles for loss. So they've got guys who can create some, <coughs> excuse me, they can create some havoc up front. I think that, you know, the key is just finding a way around that or, you know, if, if, Danny Gonzalez and Derek Warham are set on trying to just establish the run, then, you know, getting the upper hand with their interior alignment, I think is going to be really key to this game. So I'm talking about like, you know, that, that the interior trio of Austin Cook, Kyle Stapley, Isaac Gutierrez, if they yeah. can get the upper hand against a pretty good interior that, that UTEP has, then I think the better off they'll be in the long run. Yeah. Cause we've seen what Terry Wilson can do and, I think the next evolution of the offense is, like you said, if they can run the ball pretty well. And Bobby Cole's been getting there to be their guy. So what does FEI say for this particular matchup? So uh, FEI favors New Mexico, but they do see a pretty close game. They only favor the Lobos by two points. This one is UTEP one and a half at home. Um, I don't know, man. This is a uh... – what do you say? I don't know. I'm thinking <laughs> – I think it's going to be a pretty competitive game. Yeah. One they should tune into. Yeah. I just don't know that I, uh, I mean, I think the big danger is, is UTEP's offense being able to create enough big plays to keep New Mexico's, you know, offense at bay. But I'm also not entirely sold that other than that, you know, the, the star, the star players that the miners have in front that they're going to be able to contain New Mexico's offense consistently. So I think it's going to be competitive. I think it'll be close. I would expect the Lobos to cover Barely. I'm going to say 35 to 31 New Mexico wins. Okay, they can lose a cover if they lose by one point, just saying. Yeah. So that's what I thought, Barry. I'm like, oh, no, you're going to say 28, 27 UTEP. No, I mean, I think I think it'll be a hard – I mean, maybe it won't be the prettiest victory for New Mexico, yeah. but I think that they've, they've got enough to be able to get the job done. I think they do too because I'm going to go 34-30 New Mexico. So a decent amount of points. Both teams will score, move the ball well. It'll be a game you want to turn into because there's no – also, it should be noted, there's no super late game this weekend. Like, this is the final game of the weekend, 7 Mountain Time, which is pretty rare in the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. Probably because of whatever certain teams are playing. But it'll be a good weekend, so check all those games out, mwr.com, to find everything we write about, previews, recaps, um, again, expansion stuff we're kind of always doing here and there to get people excited. So any final parts or parting shots for you? Or are we good to go? I think we're good to go. All right, folks, we'll see you next weekend to hear the, listen to the recap podcast, um, probably sometime Sunday. And we'll be back to, um, hey, we'll be enjoying the games like you this week, but check our previews and everything and our updates throughout the week for all the stuff we will have you covered. So we'll see you next time.